get caught up in our words too and Amen. not focus on our walk. Yeah. Amen. And you know, that's um, as we come to Ezra chapter 10, we'll complete our study tonight, Lord willing. But, uh, you know, you, you make a good point there. Um, sometimes we can focus on our works and all the things that we're doing and, you know, attribute that to our, our complete walk with the Lord. And, uh, but I'm reminded, I was thinking about this today. Remember the story of uh, Mary and Martha. Uh, we read in, in Luke chapter 10, it says, Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, what was the good part? Jesus and the fact that um, the sister uh, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus in the home. And that's what we do here at Wednesday Night Bible Study. This is what we're doing. We're sitting and we're being fed the Word of God. And it's so important that this isn't just our only devotion time of being in the Word. We, we must, as believers, have a set time of when we get into the Word. Now, that doesn't mean you don't miss a day or two or whatever. That's not that. But to have that devotion time of getting in the Word and sitting at the feet of Jesus. Because if our work, if it's all about our works, and we have been created, you know, to, you know, as workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. But if it's all about good works and we're not sitting at the feet of Jesus, we're not being equipped and we're not being fed to be everything that God wants us to be in the kingdom of God. And so that's why it's so important. And, you know, that's so important for Josh and Nikki that uh, they would sit and get grounded in the word of God, get grounded in the faith. And we see it over and over. People uh, just go bonkers at first and, and then bam. It's, and I do contribute that to so much of it not being in the word. You know, when people get saved and they get delivered of different things, their life is radically changing, and it's great. But the truth of the matter is, the enemy's lurking, isn't he? And sometimes we learn the hard way. Wow, nobody told me about spiritual warfare, but that's one thing that I am always sharing with new believers and newer believers. Now, you need, you need to be around believers. You need to be in the Word of God, and we'll help you get into the Word, and you need to pray. Call upon the name of the Lord. And those things are essential for the believer. So that's a good point, sitting at the feet of Jesus. So uh, we are in Ezra chapter 10. And remember in Ezra chapter 9, Ezra was informed of the sin of the people. And what was their sin? Remember? Intermarriages. Intermarriages. And... Uh, you know, it says there in uh, verse 1 of chapter 9 that the people 
and the Levites, the priests, they, they were involved in intermarrying with Gentiles or non-believers. And it says specifically here, when we read of these ites, that should be alarming to us. When you got the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. So remember, when we read of these ites, we should, our minds should trigger back to Joshua. When the Lord said, the Lord was going to do that, but he, was going, he put that on the people to take care of the enemy, and God had already given them the victory. And so when we read of these ites, they're the enemies of God. They have their pagan religions, all right? And the Jews, the Levites, the people, they intermingled with them and they were married. And that was sin. That was against God's law. And we also look at that. We looked at how uh, non-believers or believers should not marry non-believers today based on what God's word says. He does it out of not just for us to follow a rule of God, but will be influenced. And these ites, the Canaanites, Persites, Hittites, Amorites, the Egyptians, influence the Jews. And we can't say, well, the Jews, they know their God. Remember Solomon, the wisest man, maybe even to, besides Jesus, to ever walk on the face of the earth. And he fell into this sin. So, Ezra, he hears of this sin and he, he goes to prayer. And so much of chapter 9 is his prayer. And uh, we talked a lot about that last week. As Ezra, remember, he showed humility and he acknowledged the sin of Israel and he included himself. And uh, so let's just pick up then. Let's read verse 15 of Ezra chapter 9. This is finishing his prayer. O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we have been left an escaped remnant as it is this day. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for no one can stand before you because of this. So again, you know, Ezra is calling out to the Lord. They are guilty. They have violated God's command. In the midst of God bringing them back from Babylon to Israel, and here they are. You know, Ezra is expecting and wanting great revival, and here they are, they're living in sin. So then we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 10. Now, while Ezra was praying and making confession, weeping and prostrating himself before the house of God, a very large assembly, men, women, and children, gathered to him from Israel for the people wept bitterly. And so this is what Wilma was talking about. We see the very heart of Ezra and his humility as he was praying and confessing sin to God. At that moment, you know, he's broken over sin. And I think this, again, is a very good example for us in, in, in leadership, uh, perhaps uh, in the home leadership, as the man is to be the leader in the home. Um, a great example of, you know, being broken over sin. You know, 
too often I hear, well, so-and-so, they're, they're not going to church, and we make it all about church. The real issue is their sin, and they're not following Jesus. This church is, you know, a byproduct of that, but the main thing, their sin has hindered them and their God. And we see here Ezra then, he's, he's broken. And, um, and this, again, it's a, this is something that I, I believe that God is working and, and moving in the hearts of people. Uh, but, you know, you look at the church in America, there's a lack, totality, of broken, of, you know, because of sin. And again, I think some of that, we make it all about church. And you, you see the moral decay even in the church. I was uh, talking to somebody the other day, it was Mike McIntosh, and he said, you know, the divorce rate of non-believers is shockingly comparable to the divorce rate, and maybe in the church it's a little bit higher. What is wrong with that picture? Yeah, wow. Something's not right. So, he said the pornography, addiction, basic percentage is the same, and something else. So, so again, you know, we are to be light to the world. We are to be the examples. Christians, not that we're better, we're better off, but, you know, when it comes to walking with the Lord... You know, it, it should have an effect on our lives. And it's always been God's plan, whether it was the Jews in the Old Testament or Christians in the New Testament, that we would be examples of light to the darkness. So Ezra here then, you know, it's... Uh, I, I love verse 1 here because is there anything that stands out other than, you know, they were, you know, Ezra, they were weeping and uh, they were on the ground on their faces. That's, that's humility. You know, if my people who are called by my name, you know, you know, if we would seek God and on our face and be broken over our sin, we have the promise that God will hear us. And... One thing that stands out other than that to me here is that, that that's a prayer meeting that's going on there. It's an assembly of believers. And notice that it was men, women, and children. And that brings to my mind how important it is for our children to see that we are men and women of prayer and that we pray with them, that they understand that this is part of who we are in Christ, that we, that we pray. And not just praying for the things that we need or what we want God to do, but be you know praying devotionally to the Lord. Um, again, a great a great witness to our kids, you know, in that too that they would see mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, and uncle, whomever, to see them in humility, asking God for forgiveness. I think that is so powerful for our children to see that 
For instance, if, if I sin, not if, when I sin, that my son or my daughter or whomever, my grandchildren, would see that I, I go to the Lord and ask him for forgiveness. Why is that so important for children to see? Okay, absolutely. A contrast from what we see in the world. They'll, they'll imitate what they see. They'll imitate what they see. Very good. I was going to say, like you did down in Cincinnati when you were moving Jenna, you guys went to the store and the batteries was in the cart when you got in. And you didn't pay for them, so you just went marching right back in there. And she made the comment, you said that, oh, they got enough of my money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just running right back in there, and you didn't even tell them that you got out to the car with them. You just yeah, I just went. Paid and went on back through. Yep. <laughs> She's seen that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. She knows. Same thing. I did the same thing at Walmart. I forgot. Didn't pay for my pop after me and Kim went. And when I got to the car, I walked back in and paid for my pop. Very good. Because I felt guilty. That's honoring the Lord. Yeah. Yep. And sometimes that's a test. The Lord will put those things and allow those things to happen just to, I believe, that you know, he wants to bless us. When we, when we do that then, when we walk in that integrity, it's a good feeling. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. The enemy does it too. He sets us up. He Absolutely. He's got access to the heavens. Mm-hmm. He can go before the Father and say, you see what they did? You see what they did? Now, how are they going to respond? How are they going to respond? <laughs> yep. Well, to piggyback on what Jane said, she said the kids will imitate what they see. I think this is so important because children then will get a correct view of God. What probably is most kids, at least non-believers, and probably majority of even children believers, what view do they have of God? When we sin, what happens? You get zapped. You get zapped, right? They probably hear his name in vain a lot. What's that? They probably hear his name taken in vain. Hear his name taken in vain. Yeah, so when they, when they see mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, uh, neighbors, you know, have this mentality that we can go to God for forgiveness. Why? Because his word says we can. He says go to him. That way they can understand, they, they can see well, I can go to God when I sin instead of I'm doomed and then not want to be in fellowship, not want to, you know, if I read the Bible and after I've sinned, I mean, I'm going to feel guilty. But if I have a right perspective, and here's the key word, know God. If I know God, I know I can go to him and he will He will. Uh, forgive me, and we're going to see how this plays out. Elmer? I was thinking about kids, and I was when we show them what we're doing, we're not just telling them. We're living it out in front of them. And that's why they will, you know, they says, train up a child and they to go. So it's not just a bunch of words we're telling them. Listen, that's how they live. That's who they are. Yep, absolutely. So vital. And I can tell you the horror stories of myself, of uh, especially when Jude was little. You know, trying to correct him over and over and over and over and over and over again. But you know what? I was doing no good because I wasn't showing him. You know, you can say, no, don't do that. No, don't do that. But something different when you show them. And especially when it comes to... It's just like being at work. 
somebody can tell me how to do their job, but you got to show me what you want me to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nowadays people won't do it if you don't show them, but... <laughs> So, okay. <clears throat> and notice here, it's at another interesting thing here in verse 1 is that it says, while Ezra was praying. So, God's already hearing the prayer, and I believe the Holy Spirit's already working, obviously. He's working in the hearts, He's bringing conviction uh, to the people. And then they respond. Let's look at the response. Then Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, said to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. Yet now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. So now let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility, but we will be with you. Be courageous and act. And so the people res respond, not just to Ezra's prayer, it's the Lord who's doing it. He's bringing the conviction. This is a work of God in the hearts of the people. And with that conviction they understood that they were unfaithful to God. And this brings up a few points that uh, we might ponder on when it comes to genuine repentance. Number one, first and foremost, it was sin against God. It wasn't, you know, I made a mistake or I fell short, obviously falling short to the Lord, but it's sin against God. And Psalm 51.4, David said, Against you, you only, I have sinned and have done what is evil in your sight. See, if I, would, if I would sin against John, and I would only go to him, you know, and say, Hey, I'm sorry. Does that wash away any sin? Does that remove that guilt or that shame? The real sin? No, it doesn't. And we'll look at, look at that. Remember uh, with David, yeah, we say he sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah, but ultimately his sin was against the Lord. And remember, and let's turn real quick because this is a confession, uh, I, you know, a scripture that we should have outlined and memorized in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And, and the, you know, remember, this was written to believers. And it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we confess... Our sin. The, the word confess in the, uh, in the Greek is, uh, literally means saying the same thing. So when we confess to the Lord, we are saying to God, I, I'm in agreement with what you say. 
I have fallen short of the glory of God. My sin is against you. And he is faithful. What's that mean? He is faithful. He's faithful to his word. If we confess he's faithful to do what? And it also says he's righteous. So that means he can, because of who he is, he can forgive that sin. Right? To forgive us our sins. Sometimes we think confession and repentance is only at the time of conversion. At that very moment when, you know, I call out to God and I ask God for forgiveness of my sin. And then as believers, we think, well, that's what confession and repentance is. But do we sin after we become saved? Sure we do. We're still a child of God, which we got to remember that because the enemy comes against that, right? And if we know the word, if we know God and we know his word, I know that I can go to God, ask him for forgiveness of sin and that he will forgive me. Is it that easy? Yes, if that's what's in our heart, it's that easy. Absolutely. It's based on him. He is faithful, he is righteous, and he he is able to forgive us of our sin. Now, genuine repentance accepts the responsibility for what we have done. This is something that we share with Jude and other kids as well. Just own up to it. Just own up to it and be done. Don't, Don't make excuses because it just snowballs, right? Um... And then genuine repentance feels deeply the wrong of sins. That's important. If we, if we know God and we're walking with God, when I sin, I know I sin. The Holy Spirit's going to convict me of that sin. Now, can it be that I might not sense the Holy Spirit right at that moment, that it could be a day later? Or two days later, that the heaviness of the Holy Spirit then is on me telling me that I have sinned and that I need to repent? Absolutely. I don't think we can put a timetable on it. Elmer? If I sin, here's just an example. Mm-hmm. If I sin and uh, I can repent before the Holy Spirit, it convicts me. Mm-hmm. Or I shouldn't say that. I don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit because I know I'm going to wait for I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think because you know, I guess you could contribute it to the Holy Spirit because you know what you did right that moment was wrong because you know God, you know His Word, and you know. Some people try to work the Word, though. They they know they're going to sin, and and well, as long as I ask God to forgive me, you know. Absolutely. They'll they'll say that before they sin. Well, God's going to forgive me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think bring us to a place on our wall with him where I know I'm going to forgive the Lord. I don't have to wait for two days to get Right. But sometimes, like, uh, we might hear a message or talk, talk to somebody later or something and then reflect on something and then kind of be like, oh, I shouldn't have done that or I shouldn't have handled it like that or, 
Fear and trembling, yeah. Well, I guess I'll wrap myself out here, okay? Um, <laughs> because I have proof or I have assurance that God forgives. But, you know, just like driving on a highway. How many times have you thought, boy, there are a bunch of idiots out here on I-75 today? Anybody ever get that way? Thank you. Um, what about two days later when you pull out in front of somebody? Oh, Lord, forgive me. And you're instantly... People were just driving 70. Who was the idiot? You know what I'm saying? Will God work that way? Absolutely he will work that way because he wants all of us. Um, God always works for our best. He always works for our best. As we're reading here in Ezra, he is working. God sees the big picture. He sees what he wants to do. He knows his plan. He knows. God knew that he had to work here at this moment because if these people fell, they didn't repent. Here we have a wonderful example of God's sovereignty and free will of man working together because God has a plan. He had a plan here, right? The plan, the big picture is the Messiah. And if, if the Jews did not repent here and I mean, God just brought them back from captivity. Surely judgment would fall on them again. God can't put up with sin. He, he can't put up with sin. He won't put up with sin. We can never make excuse for sin. And so genuine repentance feels deeply wrong of sins. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Now here's the difference... between somebody truly walking with the Lord and somebody who sins or you know screws up, however you want to put it, there's a difference with the believer who sins, takes care of that sin, compared to maybe a believer who is just you know, sorry that they're in the circumstance that was caused by their sin. Make sense? So if we go to uh, 7.10 here, in verse 10 it says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So there's, what, what, is, the, what is the sorrow of the world? Well, for, for the non-believer or those who, uh, they're only sorry because, not because of their sin before the Lord. They're sorry because of their circumstance. They're, you know, they're sorry they're in this situation. There's no repentance is what I'm trying to say. Genuine repentance is going to have that burden, I have sinned, and then when a person repents, you know, there's joy. And repenting of sin. There's, because we have to understand the sin, uh, you know, obviously when a, a non believer, sin hinders them between God. There's no fellowship, right? So when we come to Christ, that sin is removed. The veil has been torn, and we have relationship with God. 
So we know that that's ours. That's, that's assurance that we have that we are in a right place standing. It's righteousness, uh, God's righteousness, the righteousness of Christ imputed upon me. I'm in a right standing with God. But as I walk then, the practical righteousness, when I sin against God, right, that sin is there, the cross is already in place. What has to take place for that sin to be removed then after I'm saved and after I'm walking with the Lord? Confession. Confession. So First John chapter 1, verse 9, I have to be in agreement. Lord, I confess my sin. And at that very moment, just like salvation, that conflict then, that sin, is wiped away and I'm restored. So a non-believer, when their sin is removed by the blood of Jesus Christ, they've been restored. They've been, have access now to the Father, right? And then as a believer, it's, it's that conflict that harms our relationship with God. It breaks that fellowship. And for my fellowship then to be where God wants it and to where I'm receiving the blessings of God's presence, that sin has to be removed. And once it is, it's, and it says in Acts chapter 3, repentance leading to joy. It produces fruit. And when we live with this, that I can go to my God when I sin, not the not to say I'm, I'm going to go sin then because I have grace. It's not that. Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 6. But it's all about the fellowship. I don't, I don't want to have conflict in my relationship with God. So whatever it is, when we're convicted of the Holy Spirit, we need to get rid of that conflict. Oh, man, yes. And you know what? That is a scripture I've chewed on for two days now. Absolutely. It's interesting. We go to the throne of grace boldly, with confidence. It doesn't say do all these works to remove your sin. It doesn't say to go to a 12-step counseling session somewhere. It goes, go to the throne of grace where we receive that grace, we receive that mercy, and that's why I love seeing I hate the people that they fall away from the Lord. But when it's genuine, when they come back to the Lord, it, it's glorious to see. And, and the Father, he's glorified in it. And you see, and I'll give you a great example of the family that Sunday. Just totally different. You can see it in their faces. Just, you know, they've been touched by God. So, and then genuine repentance takes, uh, it leads to prompt action to correct our sins. It doesn't make any sense, okay, I confess my sin, and I'm cleansed, and then turn around and do it. But does that happen? Yes, it does. It does. But again, as we grow and we mature, I don't, I don't want to displease my father. I want to walk so close with him, I don't want this conflict, and then... As we grow, it's kind of like what Elmer said, when I sin, it's even before the Holy Spirit can, you know, convict me. I just confess it and you, go, you, you just go on. I have a question. Yes. What happens with Christ if he continues that and falls into a snare of it and continues it? I've forgiven the Lord, you know, two days later. He's forgiven the same thing over and over and over and over. Before he's supposed to happen to Well, I think if that... Um, yeah. 
you know, it can lead to uh, the conscience being seared. In other words, that if a person is just continually, you know, if they're grieving inside, that's different. But if a person just saying it and it's more of a, you know, a worldly sorrow, their conscience can get seared. Meaning, they can get to a place where they don't, they don't hear the Holy Spirit or they don't respond to the Holy Spirit. Like a cry wolf thing. It, it can get to that, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, he'll he'll he will discipline us, discipline. and he'll chasten. He'll discipline, chasten, kind of same there. Um, he'll work in a way to bring us to the knowledge of that sin, of sin that you know we can't just. Uh, if we proclaim to be walking with God and we're living in sin, you know, and our conscience is getting seared, he loves us so much to discipline us. You know, just like a child, we would, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. You know, you use things, why? It's not out of anger, it's out of discipline because we love them. And it's the same way God responds to us. He loves us too much to leave us where we are and... Again, it's, uh, we don't understand that when we go through it. It's not until we get to the other side of, of him working. It's like, okay, I get it now, Lord. Thank you. <laughs> but honestly, we're, we're in sorrow then because, you know, I know reading of people that have fallen away for many, many years, they, they grieve at the wasted years that they could have been serving the Lord. So we go to verse 4. I said we get done tonight. It says, Arise for this matter is your responsibility. This is Ezra. It's your responsibility. Take action. But here's another great example of Ezra being the leader, the shepherd of the group of here. It's your matter. It's your responsibility to take care of this sin. You need to do this. And he says, We'll be right there with you. And again, that's, that's a great, great uh, witness of, of a leader leading the people, not beating them to the desire to walk them through. Verse 5, Then Ezra rose and made the leading priests, the Levites, and all Israel take oath that they would do according to this proposal. So they took the oath. Then Ezra rose and from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Jehohanan, the son of Eliashib. Although he went there, he did not eat bread nor drink water, for he was mourning over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. And they made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem, and that whoever would not come within three days according to the counsel of the leaders and the elders, all his possessions should be forfeited, and he himself excluded from the assembly of the exile. So 
They were to take this oath and they were to assemble at Jerusalem and this wasn't voluntary. This was a, a proclamation that they had to do this, which I find interesting. And so if anybody would uh, refuse to do this, they would be cut off from Israel. And uh, remember, uh, King Artaxerxes gave Ezra the authority, we read back in chapter 7, that if anybody would not follow his God, they would be punished. Interesting. So it wasn't time to be wishy-washy about sin. And I think this is so, so relevant for you know, our time for believers and maybe even so much relevant for our own church here. Um, you know, sin that hinders. I've had several people, you know, praise the Lord that we really see God moving in the hearts of people. People are drawing closer to the Lord. But at the same time, it's disheartening to see Facebook posts by people proclaiming the name of Jesus. I'm just being brutally honest here. And I wonder if Jesus was sitting next to them if they would do that. And of course, you know the truth is, Jesus lives within us. And the language, even around me, not that I'm special, but you would think that you wouldn't cuss in front of the pastor. <laughs> you wouldn't think. You wouldn't think. I mean, not that I'm any more reverential than but that's why I hate the title reverend for a pastor. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about Jane. You know, there's nothing... I would never use the word reverend. I, I, don't, I don't like that for a man. And they do more, you know, whatever, but I would never be called reverend because I'm a man. I like preaching. But... And so it's, it's very sad, and it has me, and the Lord is speaking to me through Ezra, the greatest thing I need to do is to pray for them. That, it, you know, for me to, I'll be honest, in recent week here or so, my mouth just fell open. And I'm so glad that the Lord, I was about to say something that would have, you know, probably wouldn't have been edifying might have been right thing to do, but you know, sometimes the right thing to do and the godly thing to do are two different things. And so now I'm praying for people, you know, that they would recognize they are they have conflict between them and their God. But then I also rejoice knowing that God's doing a work and these things are to be expected because we're sheep. That doesn't excuse sin. If we can excuse sin, we don't have much relationship with the Lord as individuals. We can't excuse sin. Well, everybody does it. That, that is, that's worldly. That's carnal. We are called to live a life of holiness before the Lord. And that's how we will make a difference in our homes and in our community. Is that the process of growing? I think, well... Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there, really, Elmer. Uh, people can profess to, to be uh, a very grounded Christian, but if, they're carnal, if they have a carnal heart, that shows that they're not mature and they're not growing. Now, you would expect that, those things from a newer believer. 
coming out of the world. It takes time. I can remember when I got saved. Then now, the first thing God took away from me is a filthy, filthy, filthy mouth. It was like that. But there were other things that, you know, I question him now. Why'd you let me go like that for? Well, again, he sees the big picture. But the filthy mouth immediately was gone. You know, I, I used to blame my mouth on being a sailor. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, it was normal talk, but, you know. So, <clears throat> so they have this, pub in the verse 9, So all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within the three days. It was the ninth, ninth month of the twelfth of the month, and all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and the heavy rain. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have been unfaithful and have married foreign wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now therefore make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will and separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign and wives. So this is interesting, a public assembly. Ezra is telling the people they need to confess, they need to repent, they need to get uh, right with the Lord. And... Um, to do his will. Now this is interesting when they say separate yourselves from the pagan wives. And it's important here we don't get confused with the New Testament teaching on this. Right? So God at this time, he was telling them separate yourself. Remember these are Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Egyptians, how hard that must have been for them. They have children. Sound like you said parasites. <laughs> Maybe I did. I think every teaching I've ever listened to in Joshua from pastors, they always, and by the way, there was parasites. That's <laughs> probably another reason they didn't want to leave. Some of them didn't want to leave. They had to have wives and children there. Sure. Is he supposed to do Yes, he's, they're to be separated. They sinned against the Lord. Why is that? Why was God saying this? there must be a separation? Because they were bringing their gods into it. Absolutely. They were bringing their gods into what they believed, and they weren't serving the Lord. They thought some were, you know, tried to include both. And God is holy. And these gods, they've, some of them, you know, Molech, the Canaanite god, you know, they would offer sacrifice of babies to them. Yeah. So it wasn't like they just believed something different and it was, you know, not according to God's word. It was, you know, when we studied the book of Joshua, the reason why God wanted them wiped out is because it was, they were horrible. They were, you know, child sacrifice and different sacrifices and, and, and that they just it was a mercy act of mercy by God to want them wiped off the face of the earth it wasn't just so Israel could have the land it wasn't it wasn't that and so God's telling them to be separate um, now in in the New Testament As we discussed before, um, 
it would be unequally yoked if a believer would marry a non-believer. And that just, for the same reason, there, as Jesus even said, what fellowship does light have with darkness? There's no, there's no together. There's no, so I can remember years ago, uh, there was a fella, they came here, they, uh, to Calvary Christian Fellowship. They came to visit. They were on fire for the Lord. They came from California, Calvary Chapel out there. And they came here, and uh, they came for a couple of weeks, and you started just seeing something. I did. Well, then they were gone for a, you know, a year or so. And uh, I think a year passed, and this guy came back. And um, uh, he, he was so convicted. He was so, he wasn't the same person. And he told me that he and his wife divorced. And, you know, of course, he blamed her. And then he asked me what I thought about him marrying a Muslim. And so I shared the truth with him. It wasn't that she was a Muslim. I wasn't being racial. What I told him is that would be what God's word says, unequally yoked. She's not a believer. And I never saw him again. Never saw him again. So the Bible also speaks of in the New Testament, if, if, if you're not just to, if you're to, if, let's say, for example, two unbelievers get married, or even if, a, even if that sin is committed by the believer of marrying a non-believer. So once they get married, God doesn't expect, well, you sin, get divorced. It's not like that in the New Testament. It's not the same as what God was doing here. So even in 1 Peter chapter 3, God gives the exhortation to the woman from the Spirit of God that they are to be a witness to the non-believing husband in hopes of winning them, and vice versa as well. So when two believers or two non-believers get married and one becomes a believer, that doesn't give them any justification in any way that they ought to divorce their wife or husband. I'm so thankful when Jane got saved, she didn't kick me to the curb. <laughs> I agree. No. <laughs> but the point is, Jane got saved first. <laughs> Right? So, and all of that, God's wanting to work. In the same way, God here in Ezra, there's no way that could take place if there was not a separation. All right? So, um, verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 12. Then all the assembly replied with a loud voice, That's right, as you have said, so it is our duty to do. But there are many people, it is, the rainy season, we are not able to stand in the open, nor can the task be done in one or two days, for we have transgressed greatly in this matter. Let our leaders represent the whole assembly, and let all those in our cities who have married foreign wives come at appointed times together with the elders and judges of each city until the fierce anger of our God on account of this matter is turned away from us. Only Jonathan, the son of Ashel, and Jehaziah, the son of Tiv. Tikbah opposed this with Meshulam and Shabbatai and Levite, the Levite supporting them. So of all this, there was only four that opposed 
this idea of uh, you know being organized um, that there this separation would take place and I think that was a work of God that it would be organized and detailed and um, you know for the, for this to work and then verse 16 but the exiles did so and Ezra the priest selected men who were heads of fathers' households for each of their fathers' households, all of them by name, so they convened on the first day of the tenth month to investigate the matter. They finished investigating all the men who had married foreign wives by the first day of the first month. So uh, between two and three months there, it took place, of uh, this separation. And then um, it goes on to list all these names. I think there's 113 um, and then let's just go on down to verse 44. All these had married foreign wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. So, uh, what verse? Nineteen. Okay. Um, we'll have to look at that. Why just the ram? Or if that was the fulfillment of what they had to do with sin. We'll have to look that up. A guilt offering, yeah. So, I can't remember if that was all that was required. You know, with the, with the laws of the offerings and, and whatnot. But... Um, so we, we see here then, uh, this, this closes the book of Ezra. And so in this time, in, in the history of Israel, the history of, of God fulfilling his plan, remember, if we can remember the time frame of pre-exile, meaning pre-Babylon, and then we know the Jews in Babylon in that captivity... And then you have the post-exile. And here we see in Ezra, as we've studied, the Jews uh, come back in a couple different groups and they come to uh, Israel. The temple has been rebuilt. Worship has been restored. And then we'll get into Nehemiah. So I'm excited for Nehemiah. Um, but I, I am, I've learned so much. I Honestly, I wish... And I was convinced that we were supposed to do Ezra on Wednesday nights, but I kind of wish we would have done it on Sunday mornings because there's so much applicable. Huh? Uh, just a, you guys have been so faithful to come and I, listening to those who read ahead and share your insights. It's powerful that we get uh, because all of scriptures applies to our life today. And I think there's so much meat here as there will be so much meat from Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah does chronologically line up with Ezra. Now, when you go on and you read, remember, you know, Ezra and God's timeline, that's after Jeremiah. But Jeremiah and the Word of God, it, it's past the Psalms, right? It's, and after Isaiah. Now, for why did God put it that way? Ask him. <laughs> 
But, uh, you know, God put together his word just exactly like he wants it. So praise the Lord. So, Lord, we thank you uh, for our study of Ezra. Lord, there are so many truths here regarding revival in our hearts. Lord, we know that you've called us into this relationship with you, Lord, and we are part of your perfect plan, and we're part of the promises that you have poured out. And Lord, as we look in the future, uh, we see that your plan continues, and we know that our time here on earth isn't always going to be like it is now, Lord. Uh, things are lining up according to your word. And the same God of love, the same Jesus, the same Holy Spirit, continually working together to bring man salvation. And Lord, may we see and may we have a heart like Ezra did. And may we respond, Lord, even we hear the sin in church and sin in the body of Christ and sin in, in our own nation, Lord. Would, would this sin, Lord, would it have an impact on us and on our hearts, Lord? And that can only come when we have a proper perspective of you, God. And that walking with you, not wanting conflict to be in our way, Lord. We want to be pleasing to you. We want to be pure. We want to be we want to be so in love with you, God, that nothing else matters but our walk with you, Lord. And so would you do that by the power of your Holy Spirit? Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our midst, Lord. Would you continue to bring growth? May we draw closer to you, Lord. And may you work in the hearts of your people. And even where sin exists, Lord, we pray that your grace would abound, and that your love would lead many to overcome the sin that they deal with in their life, Lord knowing, Lord, that they already have the victory, that they would just walk in it and give you praise in it, Lord. Lord, we love you and we praise you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.